Hebrews, the second chapter. I guess I can begin at the fifth verse to alleviate the time. The Apostle Paul is exhorting in this writings to the Hebrews, or perhaps the people at Rome, it seemed to be, about the necessity of giving more honest heed to the things they've heard, lest at any time they should slip. I think that's real good advice. And he began to say, If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? All of this, but it brings him down to the fifth verse. It says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testifieth, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thine hands, or thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. I want you to notice particularly the last of this verse. But now we see not yet all things put under him. I want you to notice that. It is in the future projected by the Lord that all things are put in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom all for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all of one, by which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, out of all of that reading, I would like you to underscore, if you write in your Bible, last portion of the eighth verse, but now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. All right? Let's read it again. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. My mind was brought to this scripture by an unusual way, and so I'll approach it the same way that the Lord approached me with it. And you bear with me if it doesn't make sense for a while, because I believe I can make some connection with it and maybe help us in our thinking. There's two attitudes that's prevailing over the land today. Nobody's immune. You're either one or the other. You're an optimist or you're a pessimist, one of the two. And we have to ask ourselves for right now, not what you have been 
or what you feel like you're going to be, but what are you right now? Are you an optimist, looking to things and realizing that things may be bad, but they'll get better? Are you a pessimist that look always upon the bad side of everything and cannot see any good in it whatsoever? And tonight is what we're interested in, not yesterday, or not what you think you'll be tomorrow, but we're interested in what you are tonight and being honest with that. I was speaking to a very bright young man not too long ago who just spent four years in a university with his whole life ahead of him. He'd got a wonderful education, would have been able and was able, I suppose, when he come out to do numerous things. And yet, in spite of this, I sensed an unwholesome air of pessimism in him as he said these words, this must be the worst time in the country's history to be graduating from college. He lamented as he began to speak of all the things that was wrong. He spoke of the energy crisis. He spoke of inflation, how it was almost impossible for individuals to keep up with it. He spoke about the difficulties of finding a job. He spoke about the ever-present possibilities of a nuclear holocaust. And on and on he went. A bright young man with his future ahead of him could see nothing but the bad points that was facing a world. And as, he looked, as I looked at that and listened to him say, it must be the worst time in the country's history for a person to be graduating from college I wondered how he could have spent four years in a great university and yet know so little about American history. Amen? I wondered when he said those words because our generation, if we're not careful, feels like that they're living in a day and age and facing things that nobody else ever faced. Well, now I realize that we are facing things that never was faced before. But the things each generation faces is just as puzzling and just as exasperating and just as dangerous to them as the things are for your generation is to you. And I wondered if he'd ever heard about the graduates of 1861 who went straight from the campus they were on to Bull Run. I wondered if they'd ever heard about the graduates of 1932 who did their postgraduate work selling apples on the street. In other words, went and got an education to be able to do something, and then the stock market fell and they were out on the streets selling apples. Now then, I wondered also, and there's so many things that I wondered, and checking in our history, I wondered if you'd ever heard about the graduates of 1943 many of whom died in the Battle of the Bulls or on the beaches of Iwo Jima. I wondered about that. I come to the conclusion that he knew all about the headlines of the present. And he was fully aware of what the headlines were screaming out on, in, uh, on the, in the paper, on television, and on radio. But he had no feeling whatsoever of what Americans had endured in the past. And because of this, his vision of the future had been clouded by the problems of the present. I think perhaps by now you might know where I'm going. Because I feel like that he needed a lesson to look past the headlines and things that's streaming out at us today and look back in the pages of our American history 
and see what happened in the past and how they were overcome. Of course, there has not been a problem in our American history, but what it has been overcome. And I believe if we stay on our knees before God, I'm a firm believer that there never will be a problem, but it's insurmountable for God and for the church of God and for praying saints of God as they're on their knees before God for our nation and also for the world. But I wondered as I looked at that and I realized I was talking to a man or a boy whose mind was upon the secular things of this world. That he had an attitude of pessimism and that it was creeping over this generation and in this world. And then I must stop short as a sweet voice of God whispered and said, It didn't stay in the world. It's creeping into the rank and file of the divine church of God. I think perhaps that's what I want to talk to us about. That we need to meet this attitude that is creeping in. Let us some way get a hold of God and not allow a vision of the future. The things that God was said was ours be clouded by the problems that is facing us today. These problems are not insurmountable. These problems are surmountable by the power of Almighty God. We have always been more than conquerors. There's not one time that the church of the living God has ever went down. We have faced problems, we have faced pessimist attitudes, and we have overcome. But there's a lot to be said. As we look at that, I notice that the glow on the faces of the saints of God had come first from receiving the power of the Holy Ghost, begin to deal, and sometimes it's just lit like a candle, and sometimes not at all. The fervency in which many of us used to worship in the presence and power and the Spirit of God, and it just seemed to sweep over our very soul, seemed to be eradicated and gone. I looked around and I think, I think the thing that challenged my life is the hope that I based my life upon, the one thing that I was desirous of achieving and holding to seemed to be fleeting and far away. And we need to look into the Word of God and look at some lessons of the past. And I told this young man it would be good for you and for your attitude to search as much of American history because that's what we're dealing with as you possibly can and you'll see individuals of every generation facing problems similar to yours and not one time did our nation go down in defeat. I realize inflation's high. I realize things look dangerous. I realize that there's danger clouds in the sky. And I recognize this. But I'll say again, the God had sent that little group over and carved this place out of the wilderness and said, this is the rest. And I place you here to be a witness to a lost and dying world. But God has preserved that, then can still preserve it. And it must have an attitude of optimism with his saints looking forward and saying, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, I stand upon it. And some way we've got to muster in our lives as an individual of what can overrun a church. An attitude of optimism. Something that says the impossible has always been done and will continue to be done. God's church never deals with possibilities. 
It has always dealt with impossibilities. God's church was never daunted by headlines that streamed across the pages of the newspaper. It kept on because what they read was the Word of God and they saw in it the things that was needed. I think there needs to be a return. I'm talking to me and I'm talking to you and I don't want us to shove this on our neighbor because this attitude has prevailed. It has sent us to rock bottom in so much that we had to crawl up to, to see bottom. And this ought not to be. I'm not saying we shouldn't be human. There will be times when we splash down. But friend, what we need, and I'll say it again, what I need and what you need is to recapture what God's promises is. Now there's a lot to be said as we look into the lessons of the past. And I thought if my advice to this young man was good, then why don't I, I take the same advice and look in my history book and see how the people of old face problems similar to mine and overcome by the power of God. I looked at all of it and my it's just filled with individuals that was living in an age of pessimism and yet they themselves remained optimistic. I looked at Noah and of course everybody knows about the silly old man that built a boat on dry ground. Everybody knows the ridicule, no doubt, that he underwent. And everybody was a pessimist in his age. And if Noah had looked around in the carnality and the natural, he could have become the same way. 120 years, they say, he built an ark. And after all, if God was going to do something, why didn't he do it before then? And Noah could have lost faith, joined his fellow man, and said, I don't know if it'll ever happen or not. But Noah continued on, and his optimism saved the world from disintegration, complete destruction, because he was an optimist. He was always believing God what he said. I looked at Abraham, as the word come to Abraham, and said, Abraham, get you out of your country. And no doubt he had friends and loved ones that said, you're crazy, you've got their nest feathered here. Why do you want to go out in the world you don't know about? But Abraham believed God. The Bible says he did. He believed God. And then I thought about Job. And I studied Job. And I'll not get to go into everything that I found out about Job. And if there ever was a man that should have continued to be all the time a pessimist, it was him. But some way by the power of God, he managed to say to his wife, when she said, curse God and die, he managed to hold to the comforter to the power of God. He managed to say, naked I come into this world, and naked I leave. He managed to retain his integrity because he believed in God. He didn't understand God like we want to, but he believed God. He couldn't understand why God would do this to him, but somewhere or somehow he believed him. And while all of his friends and buddies was pessimist as to who he was and what he was, Job retained in the midst of that his integrity. And we ought to study Job once in a while. And Moses, of course, one of the greatest administrators of all time, who was given the great privilege of leading three million people out from under bondage and put them in a desert place with nothing to eat. Now Moses could have looked around and been a pessimist and saying, God, I don't know why in the world you did this to me. But somewhere, somehow, through prayer, Moses was able to keep his integrity. And I could mention all of them, and on and on we could go. But tonight, for a few minutes, I want to go to the first century 
and bring it to the introductory scriptures. I want us to go to the Mediterranean world, and I want us to watch a great writer take his pen in his hand and try to put the headlines of his day in proper perspective. This man, Apostle Paul, consents the pessimism of an early church. He could sense the fervency and the zeal begin to die out. He could sense the ability of witness begin to go. He could sense the belief begin to dim. And rather than let it die, he picked up his pen and he began to try some way to dump the headlines that was facing them that day and put their day in proper perspective to the Word of God. And he was enabled to do this by the scriptures that I just read. Now the early, early Christians were discouraged and they were distressed. Now we talk about discouragement today. And truly this is a day and hour of discouragement when you look around. And we talk about being distressed today. And we talk, talk like it as in terms as if we were the only church generation that ever had discouragement or distressions. And if we could finally one time admit to ourselves that the church world ever since it's been established has always had this and not one time has God ever failed them. And turn the pages of the history in the past and begin to flip them over and begin to take a lesson and not let the problems of the present dim our vision of the future. This is happening to younger generation. This is happening to older generation. Now the early Christians were discouraged and they were distressed. The news that filled, that filled the air was one crisis after another. Now I think perhaps we have almost for a while could maybe identify in these areas, maybe not as hard I suppose as they, but maybe we could identify in these areas as having one crisis right after another. Almost the time one thing gets worked out, we see the power of the enemy has already arranged something else for us to be challenged by. And we need to realize this has been the history of the church. That there has always been a crisis for the church to face. And let me remind you that it is the crisis that brought them together and caused them to function and cause them to rely upon one another. Because it seems like that God has to take away the advantages of everything and everyone else to make us realize that we are dependent upon one another. And when we ever learn this lesson, we're not hardly as quick to pounce upon one another, our brothers and our sisters. We're not hardly as quick to make a snap judgment because we realize these are the only security we have. And I pray that God doesn't bring us into that. Now the future that these individuals in the early church look forward to seemed farther away than ever. They were actually going down in the history of time and sometimes if we're not careful that which God has promised us from the time we started, it rang so clear and our vision was so clear and we was able to see that city that hath foundation whose builder and maker was God. We were able to see the things that God gave us and able to hold on to them 
And now after several years for some of us, a few months for others, those promises instead of being closer seem to be farther away than they ever have been. Remember, look back. Our early church was going through the same thing. And some wondered if these things would ever be. And some were even thinking of giving up and going back to the old temple worship. And the heart of the Apostle Paul couldn't handle this. He could not remain silent. He had to pick up his pen. And he had to write to them. And he had to tell them these words. He said, paraphrasing, true. We don't yet see the solution to our problems. And I can't tell you the solution to the problems, many problems that's been brought here tonight. I don't see the solution to the world's problems. I don't see the solution to my problems. I don't see the solution to your problems. I don't see that yet. And the promises of God we, we still have made to us has not been fully realized. And there are many things happening that seems to be completely out of control. And I'll have to say that as you look around. uh, It seems like everything is getting out of control. It seems like there's not a handle on anything. As I travel over the world, it seems like churches are splitting. Ministers at one another's throats, downgrading and doing away with one another's ministry. It seems like the, the God mammon of money has taken over the lives of individuals. And actually when you look at it, on the basic point of these natural eyes, everything's out of control. Nobody's got a handle on it. And I wonder sometimes, God, are you still in control of this universe? And those individuals as Christians look, and the Apostle Paul said, I'm agreeing with you. He didn't lie to them. He said, I don't see any solution to your problems. I know that promises God said was ours haven't been realized yet. I know there's a lot of things happening that looks like the world's out of control. I know that. And they were. Because looking around, things were out of control in Palestine. Just prior to the writing of this letter, there had been a brief rebellion and Jerusalem, that city of God, had been burned to the ground. I want you to know these Christians are looking upon a city that they love, how they can for, one that God said He would establish His kingdom and rule from. And they looked at that city and it was burned to the ground. Friend, that's distress. That's discouragement. And that will bring an attitude of pessimism in the strongest heart. And not only that, But in Palestine, the holy temple of God, Rome's army was still marching. And the holy temple of God had been reduced to ashes. In other words, that which they hoped that King Jesus would come one time and set upon once no more. And things were getting out of control in Rome too. A persecution of the Christians that had been a playful pastime under Nero had now become an official policy. Each emperor that came was more cruel, was more inhuman, was more beastic than ever before. Read the history, if you would. Men impaled on stakes lighted the road to the palace as they burned to light the road to Nero's palace. Women heavy with child was taken and ripped open and their unborn child, so to speak, was taken from the womb and smashed down on the ground and death to every one of them. 
and humane things was happening and these were happening to people who had held on to the promise that God was still in control of the universe. And if we think we have things to undergo, I think we ought to look back in the pages of our history book, the Bible, and see what our ancestors and our forefathers had to undergo. And there we would take a lesson and we could learn from them the great truth of today is that our future is still in the hands of God regardless of what the world looks like. Hallelujah. And he says these words back to our scripture paraphrasing in a sense. Even though we do not see the solution of our present problems there is something he's saying and I like this man. He doesn't deny they're there. If we're not careful as a church world, we'll try to close our eyes and spiritualize everything and deny that things are in the shape they're in. But the Apostle Paul was a realist. He looked at it straight in the eye and said, I know it's there. I know it's there. I can see that it's there. And even though he said, we don't see the solution to our present problem, there is something that I want to tell you that can add some perspective to the problems of this day. And I want you to listen very carefully as this man stood to his highest height, I believe, when he opened this present truth to that, that world that was then and to those Christians. A truth that is almost 2,000 years old and yet a truth if we grasp a hold of it and illuminate our lives. He says, as it is, we do not yet see everything under His control. And he goes on to say, we don't see Jesus ruling in everything anymore. And he said, listen, in spite of that, we do see Jesus crowned with honor and with glory. We do see Him. Oh, thank God. Hallelujah. In spite of what was happening, the Apostle Paul said, and he quoted these words, we don't see all things under Him, but he said you go on down a little bit and you'll see it as he writes this, but we do see Jesus crowned with honor and with glory. What does that mean? Let's look at it a little bit. We see Jesus who went through death and denial or doubt and denial. Amen? We see Jesus who went through death and defeat. And we look at Him and we don't see Him doubting and people denying Him. We don't see Him in death and defeat, and we see Him as a risen Savior, crowned, the crown of victory on Him, thank God, and He rise to give it unto you and I. He says it, remember Jesus, Paul said, on the last day of His earthly life, He staggered up the slopes of a lonely hill of Golgotha, a place of the skull. And look at Him as He walked up there, Judas betrayed Him, Peter denied Him, all deserted him, and there on the lonely hill he was crucified. He died, and he, in the very closest of the disciples' life, had Jesus had to do something, had to eradicate and erase that pessimism that they had. And this he did. The Bible says, but after he endured, a denial and the doubt of individuals. 
after Peter had denied him and Judas betrayed him and everybody had deserted him and he died a lonely death on Golgotha's hill and was buried. The Bible says on the third day he rose to life again. Hallelujah. He came back from the grave and he is now crowned with glory and with honor. We are not serving a defeated Christ and a victorious one. Hallelujah, that says, right now I don't know the answer to your problem, but I do know he's crowned with glory and he is the final victor. It takes a little faith to believe it. It takes a little looking back and a little believing on what our forefathers endured. But if we could see Jesus tonight, you as an individual, and recognize the extent of his victory, I want you to get a hold of that and recognize the extent of his victory. What did it encompass? What did it include, we dare ask ourselves? Was his victory his alone? Was he alone the only one that would be able to raise from the dead? Did his victory encompass only the 120 on the day of Pentecost? Did his victory encompass only the early church? Did his victory encompass only those saints that were martyred during the dark ages? No, I dare say it, no. It encompasses every living child of God from the time the world began, even until now. It puts his arms around us and breathes that hope into us. Hallelujah. And says we don't yet see it, but that doesn't deny the fact that it's there. He's already done it and if we could some way get a hold of the extent of it and it was done for you and for me we could look past the headlines of the present that screams out the insecurity that cries out that our nation and our world is on the brink of a holocaust that screams out against the atheists that says they'll destroy us and do away with our God it screams out against that. And we could do away with the headlines of the present and realize that it is the power of God that sustains us. I say it again, it's the power of God that sustains us. We face a lot of problems this evening, tonight, that there's no solution in sight. When I look around and I ask God, Breathe on this thing and give me a solution to this thing. And it seems as if the heavens is sealed up and Paul underwent that. And I'm, I suppose, foolish enough or brave enough to stand in and say that when you come and deliver to me your problems, a lot of them, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what to tell you is going to happen. And I can tell you one thing, and it is the power of God that has always sustained His children, and it's that same power that will sustain us if we recognize the extent of His resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But in spite of that, we as Christians are urged, even invited to see beyond the present, had invited tonight with your present problem, whatever it might be, you're invited to look and recognize that you don't belong to somebody that has been defeated. 
that you are not a member of the body of Christ, a body of anything that has been defeated. Because always, God's people have been victorious. We can't see, we don't know, but in it there is. And we see in spite of this, Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And there's a lesson in this. And sometimes we've grown so weary of talking about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And the resurrection is evidence for all to see that the future rests securely in the hands of an almighty God. And he has not relinquished it to the devil. And he's not turned you loose to the devil. And he has given you the power to be an overcomer in your day. And he's given you the ability to be an optimist and look forward to something and look up to something rather than a pessimist that's always looking down and wondering whatsoever has, did God really call me? Did he really speak to me? Is the church really alive? Is the church going to die? And all of these things, let me tell you something God is a reality a church will never die Jesus will come and the world will be under subjection to him and your problems will be solved but we have to leave it in His hand. Our future is not in the hands of our city council, our mayor, our governor. That might come as a surprise to some of you, but it's not. How faded a nation is not, especially in the last analysis, dependent upon the president or the Congress. The future of this world and human race is not dependent on what OPEC does do or does not do. Amen? I know they control and it's known as the greatest energy source in this world. And people tremble with fear as to what if they do, what are we going to do? Now let me tell you something. They don't control the destiny of God's divine order. They don't control the destiny of God's church. They don't control the destiny of God's people. Because Jesus endured. Hallelujah. And this world and this universe don't rest in the hands of the Ayatollah Khomeini's or the King Faisal's or the Russians or the Chinese or anything else. It rests securely in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ who if we see through the pages of history we see Him crowned with glory and honor already the victor. Not to be the victor but already the victor. The solution to our problems is not coming. It is already here. The final victory has already been won. The everlasting power has hit His hands. And we need some way to devote our energy, devote our time and our efforts, not to worrying so much about what the future brings. And let's consecrate our efforts on living our lives according to the divine purpose of God in us. I found this, that if we'll consecrate on living our lives according to God's divine purpose for us, we won't have time to live anybody else's for them. Amen? And then we, when we cease to do that, then we can see clearly Jesus crowned with honor and with glory. Because a lot of problems would be eliminated. Because most of our problems, it's not with ourselves so much. It's with our neighbors and friends. And it's in our eyes. <laughs> Amen? Because that's all we can see. And if we take time to recognize 
how our attitude is a pessimist attitude. How we're down, the devil's tromping us under the heel of his foot and he's lying to us. And we think, God help us, we think we're the only one that has ever underwent anything like this. Be truthful. Amen. I know I've been there. I'll be there again. I don't think there's anybody that has to undergo what I have to undergo. But yet when I'm brought face to face with these people from the past, and when I read the problems they were faced with, I can't help but think mine is menial, and they just really don't amount to anything at all. And then I look up and I see Jesus. Hallelujah. We need to devote our energy, our time, and our effort not to worrying about the future brings, but again, consecrate our living and giving it according to God's purpose in our lives. How many of you have ever wondered what the purpose of God really is in your life? I mean, sincerely, truthfully, You've really wondered, what really is my purpose in life? Then if we would consecrate our every effort on finding that, obtaining it, and doing it, and looking with optimism to Jesus, and realize that what He endured, everything you're undergoing now, and ever will, everything I'm undergoing, I ever will, Jesus endured it, and nailed it to the cross, and despised the shame, and handed you victory on a platter, and said it's yours. We need to seek to replace despair with hope. God help us not despair with despair. How many of you Christians have ever sat down beside a pessimist, and all he ever talked about was the despair that was in his life, and the first thing you knew, you was telling them all the despair that was in yours. Amen? And instead of some way looking to Jesus, and you knew that your life was filled with just as much despair as His. But there's one thing we discount that we don't look at, is that we should see Jesus crowned with honor and crowned with glory. The victor of it all, instead of adding more despair to the despair they already have, we need to add some hope to this. Tell him about Jesus. Tell him about what he endured. Tell him about what he promised. Tell him that his promises are sure and steadfast. And tell him even though they don't see it today, it's still going to be. That's faith in it. Some way we need to be able to replace sadness with joy. We need to look for ways to move closer to one another. Ways to move closer to one another, to reach out somewhere and to touch one another. Because I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you again. One of these days, the touch of your brother and sister is going to mean something to you. It's going to mean strength to you and ability to you. And we need to get used to moving closer to one another. Sharing one another's downfalls and failures. Rejoicing in one another's abilities and upliftings. And touching one another. And drawing strength from one another. And giving strength to one another. Hallelujah. We need to pay the price that love demands. We need to help those who are in the greatest need. 
Something we need to realize is we are made for love. And love alone will prevail. You might look to the intellect. You might look for the shout and you might look for the dance. And you might look for the speaking in tongues. And you might look for the chill bumps that run up and down your spine as the Spirit moves. But there's but one thing that is going to help us endure until the end, and that's the thing that was shed abroad by Jesus, and that is love. Love alone will prevail in our lives. Love alone will introduce to us the things that we need in our own life. And if we love, we can work and not ask for rest. We can give and not count the cost. We can labor and not ask for any reward. Because with this love we have seen Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And we know that He is going to lead us triumphant over every obstacle that ever faced us. Look back on your life. Has He ever failed you? Has He ever failed you? And then look in the Bible. And see the times when it looked like he wasn't there and never would come. But he had all things in his hand. Paul said, yes, I look around and I see your problems and I don't have the solution. I see your anxieties and I know why it's there. I see why the vision dims. It's because you've gotten your eyes off of the things that God told you in his word of the things that was imparted to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you get your eyes off of them, and you focus them upon the pessimistic attitude of the world, and it's set to destroy every living saint that's in the church of God, and will, unless we see Jesus right now, today, crowned with honor and crowned with glory. Our problems, my problems and yours, and hear me, are not insurmountable problems. They are problems that can be faced through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they have to be turned over to Him. They have to be laid at the Master's feet. We have to say, you do, and you do, and you do, and you do. We have to say, God, I don't have the answer. I can't go any further. Now it's up to you. And then look up and see that Jesus has been the victor. All of this time, He's been the victor. Let's read those scriptures again as we try to close. Let's read them and see what He's really saying. But now we see not yet all things put under Him. In other words, there's a lot of things we need answers to. A lot of so problems unsolved, a lot of questions unanswered. That the Apostle Paul said something, the only thing he could say, and it should have been enough, and he says it to us today, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Now I really don't know what else we need, do you? But Jesus.